Prescription products require completion of an online medication consultation with an independent healthcare provider through the LifeMD platform and are only available if prescribed. Subscription required. Individual results may vary. Additional restrictions apply at LifeMD.com. Read all warnings before using GLP-1s. Side effects may include a risk of thyroid C-cell tumors. Do not use GLP-1s if you or your family have a history of thyroid cancer. If you've struggled for years to lose weight and have given up hope, did you know you can now access GLP-1 prescription medications through LifeMD? LifeMD is now offering eligible patients online access to GLP-1s, the breakthrough prescription medication that can help you lose body fat and weight. Listen to what people are saying. You just take your shot. It doesn't feel like you're on a diet. What I wasn't expecting it to do was to shut off the food noise. This was life-altering, and if I can do it, I feel like anybody can do it. And here's the best part. Your insurance may cover 100% of the cost of your medication. So go to TryLifeMD.com to have your eligibility checked right now. Get started today at TryLifeMD.com. That's T-R-Y-L-I-F-E-M-D.com. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Good evening, Riffers. This is Riffs and Rules, the 5e D&D podcast. We go through many 5e books and talk about various rules and enhance your gameplay experience. I'm Nathan, the Dungeon Master of Riffwake. And I'm Remy, a player on Riffwake and a Dungeon Master myself. And today we're here to talk to you about magic in your world. So... Obviously, magic is a massively important part of Dungeons & Dragons. It is more than half of the classes use magic in some way, shape, or form. And practically everyone does if you factor magic items and potions and all that kind of stuff into things. So deciding how you want magic to work in your world is actually a pretty important topic of discussion. So with that being said, how much do you think the Dungeon Master's Guide actually talks about magic in your world. I imagine it does go into some detail about how, like, magic works, like, as a concept, as, like, how it works within the world. Like, um, if I'm not wrong, it's something to do with, like, some weave or something. Yeah, that is something that gets talked about a lot, and we certainly will get more into discussion about the weave in just a little bit. But There's actually shockingly little about this topic in the Dungeon Master's Guide. However, the bit that is in the Dungeon Master's Guide is actually pretty good and just very dense. So there are a lot of good questions packed into just a very short number of pages. So this is actually in Chapter 1 of the Dungeon Master's Guide. And guess what this section is called in the book? Yay magic. No. It's actually titled Magic in Your World. So if you want to find this section, just Google the episode title or search it in a PDF version and you should be able to find it without much issue. So there are a handful of questions in here that I'm just going to read through very quickly and then we can talk about some of the ways that this can be implemented. And just because you know me might by now, Nathan, why do I use the phrase specifically some of the ways that this can be used? Things might d- d- differ based on your world. 
because there are an infinite number of varieties of how this can be implemented. Whoa. (laughs) (laughs) But in all seriousness, uh, the following questions I am taking straight from the Dungeon Master's Guide. Is some magic common? Is some socially unacceptable? Which magic is rare? How unusual are members of each spellcasting class? How common are those who can cast high-level spells? How rare are magic items, magical locations, and creatures that have supernatural powers? At what power level do these things go from everyday to exotic? How do authorities regulate and use magic? How do normal folk use magic and protect themselves from it? So, that wasn't a terribly long section, but those are some really goddamn good questions in all honesty. So, first things first, is magic common? So, Nathan, this is one that I do want to do a lot of just back and forth, because this is something where you and I do actually have quite a number of differences, as well as we generally can still get along. So with that being said, Nathan, what are some of the different ways just for magic commonality? I would say that the general person in my world can get access to magic. It's just that it's not extremely cheap for the common person, but it's like very much a case where not everyone would have a magical thing. Yeah, and this is... Honestly, one of the first questions that is worth thinking about for a dungeon master, just in terms of pure big picture world building, is how magical is your world? So Nathan actually has a basically average level of magic for a Dungeons and Dragons campaign, while on the other hand, I myself love high magic. I want magic everywhere, doing everything. So, to me, Eberron is not high magic enough. And that is something that is honestly talked about a lot amongst, you know, my type of debaters in the D&D community is how high magic should a world be? And again, that is the wrong question to ask. It is, it should be just how often do you, or how magical do you want your world to be? There is not a singular correct answer for that question. But it is going to massively influence how your world takes shape in a lot of ways. So, Nathan, can you tell me some differences that would exist in a high magic world? I would say that most common needs would be easily fulfilled by magic. There would be no hunger. That there's like basically uh, it's so. Hmm? I'm sorry, you just brought up a very interesting question that makes this one of my favorite questions in a how magic world. You immediately went to the nicer humanity view of needs would be met. I would yeah. rephrase that as all basic needs are able to be met. Uh, okay. <laughs> whether they are or not would be a matter of debate and that's something that could very much be part of the world building in such a world this place is you know communist utopia everyone is needs taken care of we have master artisans performers it's wonderful to live here and then you can also have the 
fuck you got mine side of things, which is unfortunately the more common. <laughs> I'm sorry, that was an interruption though, please continue. Yeah, um, outside of that, it'll be a case where like the little things in life, like little inconveniences will be washed away, diseases will be non-existent. Um, apart from the really, really fucked ones where they are designed specifically by spellcasters to be um, as terrible as possible. Yeah, I mean, like we talked about back in our Curses episode, like there are canonically some things that aren't able to be treated by a simple lesser restoration. So this is actually another part, though, where there can be a significant amount of variance in exactly what magic commonality means. So I use Eberron as the example, and I'm going to borrow a phrase from Eberron specifically because it is applicable. Technically speaking, Eberron is wide magic, not high magic. There is a lot of magic in the world, but a lot of it is relatively low level. So they have like mage rites and wand slingers and lots of people with, you know, a couple of spells to cast and a couple of cantrips, and that's about it. So there's more magic out there, but there's not necessarily higher level casters in significantly greater frequency. So what you want to have magic in your world be can vary a lot. Like if you wanted, you could have it be there is almost no magic in the world. And then just for either for reasons, you know, maybe the party is just some of the rare individuals in the world who have access to magic. But there is also another side of this that I do also want to bring up. Nathan, have you ever heard of the Dark Sun setting? Um, yes, but not much about it. I assume there's like some Dark Sun but that that's about it. <laughs> so you don't know any about the what makes Dark Sun Dark Sun? Yeah. Okay. The short, short version is that it is almost entirely just desert wasteland because arcane magic, so like non-godly magic, so everything that wizards use, bards use, sorcerers, like all like regular arcane magic, is actually fueled by the life force of the planet. And this is something that either they didn't know in time, or they just kept secret, or just didn't talk about until it was too late, basically. I, I like so, this. overuse of arcane magic basically killed the planet, for all intents and purposes. So, magic is generally frowned on, to put it politely. Like, you can be killed for just being an arcane magic user in places so like honestly it's a setting that i really think that just you yourself nathan would really enjoy so i really do suggest like if you were to read an indie book that is a setting that you would enjoy reading up on i won't but sounds cool you won't but it, it's one that i know you would like which makes it that much disappointing that i know you won't <sighs> <Yay. I'm sorry. laughs> you make me sad but seriously, though, the idea, though, that there is that cost of magic is fascinating. 
And honestly, that itself is a pretty big topic that we'll talk a little bit more about. Well, actually, that is basically the topic of Thursday's episode. So we'll just put a bookmark in that for the moment. So with that being said, all that we just talked about, that's just the basics of magic commonality, which was just that very first question on that list that I read off. So moving along, is some socially unacceptable? This is another question that I really like, in all honesty. So, Nathan, what is magic that might be socially unacceptable? Necromancy. Necromancy. Necromancy is a very good go-to for this one, and for kind of obvious reasons. It is, you know, that edgy evil magic It is kind of how it is portrayed a lot of the time. That being said, can you have a world where necromancy isn't frowned upon? Yeah. Yeah. And would there be reason to allow necromancy or for that to not have the stigma that it so often does? Mm hmm. For example, um, maybe it's a people see it as a way to like talk to their lost ones um, mm -hmm. every so often. And that kind of relationship with necromancy might like changes the way that people relate to it. Yeah, because something that a lot of people just don't think about, like the classical definition of shamanism, of like communing with the spirits of the ancestors, is something that has a very good connotation in our world, and yet is something that I almost never see in D&D, &D, even when you are playing an edition that actually has a shaman class, you just don't really see that, which is interesting in all honesty. So to flip the question around, though, besides necromancy, can you think of other magics that might have reason to not be looked well upon. Um, whatever charm does. Ooh. Yeah, enchantment magic. Yeah, mind control is fucking terrifying. And honestly, necromancy is something that's usually relatively obvious. Enchantment isn't necessarily so. And to me, that makes it a little bit more scary in some ways, the fact that it is so hard to even notice that it's happening. But uh, just mind control in general is just one of those things that fucks with me and I just do not like. But just to throw something totally out there, out there. How about fire magic? But, but fire magic, cool. The, the big fire explosion. magic, cool. Yeah, and that's the problem. Something yeah. that a lot of people just don't think about a lot of D&D takes place like two of the most common settings in D&D. Actually, let's even expand that to three. Cities in general, not known for being fireproof. Forests, not known for being fireproof. And often, like even in a smaller city or some such, like the port is also just a relatively common D&D destination. All places where fire bad, and yet why, why, for some why, reason it's really rare to see any kind of actual like prohibition or just even cautions against fire magic. Is that like um something wrong with bringing uh fire to a port? There's water everywhere. Why? Why? What's the issue here? Well, the docks themselves and the boats tend to be made out of wood. Right. Shit, you have so a point. So if that fire spreads <laughs> before they can put the fire out, that can get real problematic real quick. And let's say this is like a good-sized city's port, and the fire does spread relatively quickly, that could be hundreds of thousands of gold in damage real quick. Yeah, that would be bad. 
That'd be real bad. And yet, for some reason, again, you always see necromancy bad. But fire can destroy a lot. Necromancy, like in zombie movies, necromancy is contagious. But most D&D necromancy isn't. So, yeah, a necromancer that raises, you know, a cemetery's worth of undead. Not good. But at least it isn't likely to actually spread to the entirety of the city. So this is the kind of thing where you really should think more about what is acceptable use of magic in different situations. Because, again, this isn't necessarily something that does have a single answer. Like, maybe there are different cities that just have, like, you cannot use any fire magic, period. Or another city that, like, you know, 300 years ago, uh, the king was mind-controlled, and we're only just, you know, getting back to where we were, like, in the recovery of that nightmare. So now, just any type of enchantment magic, you know, cast within the city or on citizens of the city, even if you're not in it, is punishable by death. And that's the kind of thing where, like, if you just come across a person from this city, that's something that characters may or may not know about. So, like, having the different rules and laws of a city interact with each other is something that historically happened rather a lot. And yet in D&D, like, most people don't even bother to actually think of what the actual like rules and laws are in various cities like the most that most people do think on that subject is just you've committed crimes against skyrim and her people and that's about it like just thinking okay jail or fine but you know sometimes if you stab someone and kill them it's pretty bad yeah sometimes (laughs) when you kill people they die yeah sometimes sometimes they don't And that's actually a good segue to our next topic, (laughs) Resurrection. Okay. So, Nathan, you yourself, like, play in an average level of magic in Mm -hmm. your world. However, you did make the explicit choice to not make Resurrection a standard thing in the world. Even though you do have characters, like, of level that would be able to cast it, but the actual spells and abilities themselves simply were never created in your world Mm -hmm. so tell us about that okay so the big reason why that's okay so i I, like the the logic behind it is that when there's a reason why death is so important in our culture and society is that it's very 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 vital so this creates a very um fun sort of situation where if the player dies they know that their character is going to be stay dead there is no chance on a comeback there's only one reported instance of someone getting revived but it was made very clear to be something a lost art that essentially they already used the one thing <laughs> so like death is significant to the player when they're playing the game because they know that when they die, they're not coming back. And that this creates like a certain tension to uh, proceedings that you might not have in a more high, like a, 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 a more um, resurrection-approved setting. So to just play Asmodeus's advocate for a moment, if you're playing with more typical D&D players, is that something that might have a negative response, though? 
Uh, I mean, probably, I would say. Um, especially if you're used to doing it. But I, I think it's more like a, a thing that... It, it adds enough to a set thing that its loss isn't a major downfall. So there's an important point here that I do want to clarify that you just mm-hmm. stated. This is a choice that you made in setting creation before we ever started playing. This was something that you did and you told us about before we ever started. Yeah. So that is the thing. A lot of these steps are questions that ought to be asked during world building. A lot of this would be rude, to put it very lightly, (laughs) if you were to make such a choice during a game. Can you imagine? If you're playing a game for, you know, four months or so, real time, every week, and then, oh no, you know, character dies, and only then when they like, oh, well, we just got, like, we need to find a cleric, maybe we can try to bargain for their aid. Like, what? No, clerics don't have that. There is no resurrection in this world. The fuck? What? Don't do that. Ever. Anytime you do change something in your world in any way really that just does shake standard assumptions you should probably put serious serious thought into telling that to your players ideally in a session zero like before you start or just like it just here's a couple of things just for you to be aware of you know we're playing uh you know low magic game uh you know, a lot of stuff is going to be hard to get your hands on, so don't just assume that you'd be able to buy potions and magic items very easily. And because it's lower magic, uh, resurrection is something that is just flat out not going to exist. Like, just a couple sentence summary of just like, here are the things that just are going to be different, so just temper your expectations accordingly. And then, of course, the players should have the characters acting on that world knowledge. Because, again, any, you are changing assumptions by not having resurrection as an option. Because for most D&D campaigns, it's relatively accessible. Yes, what? I do have to agree, right? Is that um, the one other thing is that uh, having this knowledge creates rather interesting reactions and decisions during, during the, um, for example, Riftwake. Where, um, for example, when the decision was made to re- resurrect Sarah, um, that was really funny and fun, especially uh, Gara's reaction to the whole thing. <laughs> yeah, because again, if you do spell out ahead of time that resurrection doesn't exist, but there's one. Just how the hell characters would make the choice if they find out about such a thing. Just for some kind of context for that, Just imagine a situation in our world if you just got told someone figured out and made one dose of an elixir that is able to resurrect the dead. Just completely. It is able to just reanimate the body that as long as it's not like full-on skeleton, then there's enough there for this thing to work to just completely regenerate the flesh and wake up the person again like if you just got told that that was possible in our world you'd go nuts if you just 
were actually convinced many, of the truth of it, first of all. Like many but people then, would what kill would each be, other over it. Yes. What would be the reaction if that became widespread knowledge? Like, the world would go nuts because instantly here's the thing. if that's possible. Everyone has, like, most people have some have someone that they've lost that they want to get back. And here's the thing. When you're talking about the entire world, I'm fairly certain there's a lot of people out there who would be willing to kill to get it. Yeah. And honestly, it wouldn't shock me if it was, uh, you know, just a, a situation where the creator of that just gets assassinated as soon as the word spreads. And then immediately, instead of it potentially being reproducible, you are just left with the single dose of the thing. And Yay, humanity. Yeah. You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to plan the travel experiences you'll have once you arrive. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, activities, excursions, and more in one place to make your trip truly unforgettable. Viator has over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from. Everything from simple tours to extreme adventures and all the niche, interesting stuff in between. So you can plan something that everyone you're traveling with will enjoy. Real traveler reviews give the inside scoop from people who've already been on the experiences you're considering. So you can plan with confidence. Free cancellation helps you plan for the unexpected. And 24-7 customer support means you can travel worry-free. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. So, keeping a secret in that direction, I would honestly encourage. But to have players expect a thing only to get told no when it comes up is a shitty thing to do. To surprise them by saying a single instance of a rare thing does exist can create interesting story. So it's a very important distinction to keep in mind. So on that note also, uh, the just next question from that list, which magic is rare? And there's actually a lot of directions just for that question alone. So we talked a little bit uh, earlier about arcane magic as a thing, divine magic as a thing. That is not something that ex exists as explicitly in 5th edition. So in older editions, that used to be a little bit different because there were like differences in anti-magic depending on the source, and it just got complicated as shit. So in terms for 5th edition, for magic rarity, I'm not talking about spells, uh, like I'm not talking about like spell schools, I'm not talking about magic items, but just what magic is rare. So this is something that is interesting for me to think about, because again, going back to necromancy, one thing that is always kind of interesting to me in just the D&D assumptions, there's a lot of bad guys in just standard D&D games that are necromancers. How the hell are there always so goddamn many bad guy necromancers if it's such a rare magic? So necromancy 
doesn't actually seem all that rare if you really think about it from like the perspective of how often they come up in D&D or how often undead come up or how often, you know, just people use a necromancy spell. Because again, resurrection is technically a form of necromancy. So most D&D worlds don't actually have necromancy as a rare magic, which I find kind of hilarious. I mean, it could be a case where evil people tend to be um, captivated and alert by the power of necromancy. Yeah, but the funny thing is, though, it's necromancy way more often than anything else. Like, how often do you just have, like, the big bad guy just be a fire mage? It's always a goddamn necromancer. Fire is too too goody two shoes, man. It shouldn't be like, honestly, having like an evil, you know, pyro mage of some sort would be really freaking cool in all honesty. And again, and then, going back to our city example, wait, wait, wait. it's real easy for one smart fire mage to just start fires in the right place to cause really bad things. And then the fire nation attack. <laughs> and then the fire nation attack. Fuck you. Goddamn, my brain just immediately went, my cabbages. Just start the fire in the market. <laughs> anyway, the point being, there is so much more to the magic that already exists that you don't have to just follow the expectations of just, yeah, of course, the bad guy is going to be a necromancer or the good guy is going to be the kind of like, you know, old wise headmaster type. Like, that is a trope for very good reason. I mean, you know, Blackthorn is very good guy. I don't know what you're talking about. Mm-hmm. He's the best. Mm-hmm. The best guy. I mean, he's the best at magic, but he's terrible at pretty much everything else. No, no part of the job description, you know. <laughs> <laughs> Honestly, that's something that I'm kind of curious about, about, is just, like, how actually is he as a magic teacher? Probably not great, which is funny. <laughs> Probably not great. <laughs> It's just like, I figured, like, I was doing these <laughs> equations when I was 12. Why is this so hard for you? <laughs> like, I wouldn't be that, surprised. Like, the problem of just, like, he was just such a natural genius that he's just terrible at explaining it to just, like, stupid children. <laughs> or just average children or even regular gifted children. No, no, like, no, no here's the thing. Like, Blackthorns Academy is literally, like, post-university education. It's like... Okay, everyone here is an intellectual. Why can't you understand this? <laughs> okay, so actually that alone, another answer to the which magic is rare question, are there magic academies in your world? So just literally, just how common or rare are magic users? So do you have wizard academies? Do you have a lot of bard colleges, which seem to get forgotten a lot of the time? Like, do you have, you know, conclaves of sorcerers that just like, you know, pick each other's brains for just tips and tricks on how to get, you know, their more natural abilities to work. Like, conclaves of clerics, uh, I don't know, droves of druids. <laughs> Other alliterations. I don't think it's a drove of druids, though. I think it's a, what is it called? What was that? I mean, there's what, a druid grove, but yeah, that's not as fun to say. What's a Croven of... Witches? Was that it? Okay. I'll leave now. <laughs> but the point being, like, as part of your world building, like, I've talked at length in the past about how much I love thinking about the demographics of D&D, and this is, you know, where that comes up yet again. 
just like how many magic users are in your world and again thinking of is it more the eberron style of like wide magic instead of high magic or do you actually lean into there are you know hundreds of level 20 individuals across your world and then just to think what the fuck kind of effects does having like let's say 150 level 20 magic users in your world like what kind of effects does that have on a world i mean um most level 20s are dead so um (laughs) yeah so i'm saying if you have 150 living level 20 individuals i mean that that would be pretty uh interesting wouldn't it be um like you you basically have people who can make things change uh more or less at will and literally depending on how many uh, have wish 130 of them that's a lot jesus christ yeah 130 people every day that have the capacity to cast wish that'd be a chaotic world because how many of them just accidentally cause massive changes through poor phrasing like how many of them just (laughs) conflict with each other and just cause just weird shit to happen to the world i would like ice cream today like there is good reason that like most D worlds don't assume a lot of high level individuals because honestly it's something that like our human minds as dungeon masters have difficulty fathoming because we don't have a reality warping power at our fingertips like even disregarding the fact that i myself am nowhere near like a, you know a 20 in intelligence like i simply do not have the mental capacity to imagine all of the effects of that I, tier of magic user on the world i just have this like image in my mind that like one wizard w- would be like i wish for I I I, I wish I, I wish for ice cream today, and then it just starts raining ice cream. That'd be amazing. Or just I wish it rained ice cream, and then it just never stops raining ice cream. Hey, you know, sometimes you need your ice cream. Uh huh. And then you just have this like ever growing, just like ice patch in the middle of this wood that just fucks up. <laughs> Can you imagine everywhere. this? This a is few just... years pass. It spreads over, you know, a tenth of the landmass of the entire forest. Totally throws the weather into whack. The winds flow change because of the temperature differences. The uh, that's also not what those, I had in the mind. wind changes cause hurricanes Remy. to appear in places they weren't before, and Remy, they don't appear where they did. You're going too dark. I, w- I was just thinking, oh, it's a quaint place in your world where people can can mine for ice cream. I, I don't know where you went with all that. I'm scared. <laughs> and again, that is a magic user's single wish on a single day. And if you have a world with a hundred guys and gals and whatever other creatures and beings might exist that have access to wish, and again, like... That was just saying level 20. Technically, you get Wish as soon as level 17. So let's say there's 200 individuals who can cast Wish every day. 200 Wishes a day over a period of centuries or millennia, depending on how far back you go for your world's history. And again, keep in mind also that everyone with Wish can just wish for the clone spell to make themselves pretty much immortal. So then you just have hundreds of immortal magic users just throwing out casual reality warping. It's hard to build a stable world if that's happening. On the other hand, 
that could be the shtick. If you really wanted to, you could design a world that's all about the fact that, yeah, magic is fucking crazy and dangerous. Good luck. That city that used to be here, now it's on this other continent, but everyone who lives in it had their minds rewritten to believe that it was always here. They're confused as to why they have so many cold weather clothes in their closets, but oh well, like just weird shit can just happen and you just kind of got to roll with it could kind of be an interesting but very difficult to run campaign. Be interesting, though. <sighs> anyway, how rare are magic items, magic locations and creatures that have supernatural powers? First off, define a magical location. Good question, dot 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 question mark. All right, then, I guess I'll define it. Um, so magical items, magical locations. So magical items, um, let's, let's just use Riftwick as a reference. Fairly, mm-hmm. okay, there are probably one or two stores in every city, but it's very much a case where only specialists can make them. And uh, as for magical locations, would you consider Dren to be a magical location? Hmm. I probably wouldn't say that Dren is, especially considering, well, no, actually, you're right. Like the way that everything does kind of move around on all that magical clockwork kind of bullshit. Yeah, it's on second thought. Yeah, I would say that Dren is a magical location. I mean, it's a man-made magical location. That that's like. Well, again, we didn't say natural magical locations, although that also could be another set of things to exist i mean uh other than that i would say like probably the crack you know the formation like the, mm-hmm. the thing that you had to cross uh where it's basically a mountain split into uh where the mm-hmm. demons used to crawl out of um that would be considered a magical location that has been decommissioned <laughs> or has it dun 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 and that's kind of the point like there are man-made magical locations, but then there also can be natural magical locations. And this is the kind of thing that a lot of Dungeon Masters, I would say, underutilize in general. And something that you're actually pretty good about a lot of the time, Nathan. Which is just the idea that, like, sometimes magic can just accumulate in a spot and weird shit oh, happens. Shit. I- Totally forgot the Azern Desert has the weird necromancy <laughs> <Yeah>. effect. <laughs> yeah, lots of necromantic energy accumulates in a spot. Weird random necromantic shit happens in spot. And that's actually probably a good time for us to transition a little bit to talking about the weave. So the weave is an interpretation of magic in the Dungeons and Dragons cosmology. Honestly, D&D is a big enough set of multiverses that to say that it's the, you know, correct or only interpretation of magic, it would be a gross oversimplification. But it is something that is often talked about as how magic works in D&D. So the short version to explain that one is the idea that Magic is fucking all over the place. And those who are attuned or well-studied in the arts of magic are able to perceive the magic everywhere. And it's often talked about as just threads of energy connecting just all things in the multiverse. 
So the reason that it's called the weave is that magic users are able to basically pluck and weave these threads of magic into magical effects, whether that is spells or into magic items, whatever the case may be. It is the manipulation of these threads of magic that do create a weave of magic. So it's actually pretty cool, and there's been not enough like good explanations in my eyes of like a good way to kind of visualize this. So of all things, there's actually a sci-fi movie that had the kind of best visualization of this. Unfortunately, I'm blanking out on what the fucking movie was. Um, Dungeons and Dragons. Just... No, Visualize. it wasn't. <laughs> oh, God damn it. It was the Scarlett Johansson movie. Sci-fi. Ghost in the <sighs> Shell? I'm looking at... No. Uh, uh, I'm looking at her... Uh... Black Widow. <laughs> no. It's not just... yet, though. I do want to see that one. Yeah, it's not out yet. I don't think. Lucy. No wonder. It was a bad movie. No wonder I didn't remember it. So, you know there's the whole myth about how like a person only uses 10% of their brain? Yeah. So, that's bullshit, but it's something that a lot of people believe. So, the whole concept of that movie was that like, if weird shit happened and a person could access more and more of their brain, what happens? And there's a scene in that movie where her character becomes able to just like perceive just all of the radio waves and such that are going through the air. And it's really freaking cool to just kind of see all these just lines of code because the way that they do choose to show it is just like everything is just these lines of data streaming just through the air everywhere going to everything just connecting just all of the devices that we all make use of and it's really cool and it's honestly the best visual depiction that i've seen of just the way that the weave is described in DD. so if you want to to get the visualization of this just like google like the movie lucy and threads or data and something like that should pull up the pictures but it really is just a cool way to see it so just for funsies i just uh, sent it to you nathan in the chat that's pretty cool looks like <laughs> somebody scratched a window but very cool <laughs> ah, damn it nathan all right anyway uh so that's the short short version on the weave how you want magic to work in your world though Whatever the hell you want. That's the point, as always. So, with all that being said, I lost my place. Because I have too many tabs open, as I want to do. Shoot, I might have over 100 tabs open at the moment because I was distracted doing something before you came back. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> oh, here we go. Magic item rarity. Okay. How much you want magic to be accessible to those who aren't able to cast it is another very important thing to think about just when world building, in all honesty. Because again, if magic is very, magic items rather, are relatively accessible and easy to be made, then average people, even just those who don't have magic capability, 
might have some amount of magic in their lives. So one example that I like thinking about is one that we also talked about a few episodes ago. How much more dangerous would guards be if every guard just had a wand of magic missile? Hey, man, how, how dangerous would it be if every policeman had a gun? Oh, wait. Yeah, pretty bad, it turns <laughs> out. But anyway, I don't want to get into that topic. But uh, just accessible magic really does change a lot. So, okay, let's change it to the other side then. Let's say that there is a pack of ten bandits that have five wands of magic missile. Five wands of magic missile is terrifyingly dangerous, even to a mid-level party, honestly. Like, if you have, you know, let's say four level five people, like, one round with those magic missile wands can take out, like, one or two of the squishier people pretty much instantly. And because of the fact that it is potentially three shots per turn with that wand, like or more even, like that's the kind of thing that might auto-kill by accident just because they like if a single hit is two failed death saving throws, then if, you know, just because of the amount of rolls done, like if the first blast knocks someone unconscious, then the second and third is death. That's four failed death saves just from the auto hits. And that's fucked. He has so, a gun. Stop it. So just thinking about just how available magic is can have massive effects on your world. So now let's just do one final question that is one that I think you might enjoy but also exasperate me with. How do normal folks use magic and protect themselves from it? How do normal folks use magic, eh? Well, mm -hmm. normal folk use it for one thing and one thing only. And, and no, actually, they use it for everything and anything except for prestidigitation because I hate it. And, it, and moving forward, I've decided <laughs> this will never be a thing in future settings. Thank you very much. Uh, well, th thanks for listening to my TED talk. <laughs> Well, it's a good thing that we're still staying in the same setting for now, then. Uh, so no loss of prestidigitation anytime soon. Yay! <laughs> in summary, there are a lot of questions that can be asked and interpretations that can be used for how magic works in your world. But as much variation as exists, there is no correct answer. So all that you need to do is just decide what is the style of magic use that you want in your own world for you and your players to have fun. Thanks for listening to this episode of Rifts and Rules. Please leave us a review and give us five stars on iTunes. Also, support us on Patreon at patreon.com slash riftwakepodcast. Tiers start as low as a dollar, and even that much really helps us out. Supporters get benefits such as behind-the-scenes content, early access to episodes, access to the monthly hangout where you'll be able to chat with the cast, and even input on Riffs and Rules topics. Find us on social media, on Twitter, at Riffwake Podcast, on Facebook as Riffwake, on Reddit, on the subreddit, r slash Riffwake Podcast, and you can send us an email, riffwakepodcast at gmail.com. And that's it for today.
You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to plan the travel experiences you'll have once you arrive. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, activities, excursions, and more in one place to make your trip truly unforgettable. Viator has over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from. Everything from simple tours to extreme adventures and all the niche, interesting stuff in between. So you can plan something that everyone you're traveling with will enjoy. Real traveler reviews give the inside scoop from people who've already been on the experiences you're considering. So you can plan with confidence. Free cancellation helps you plan for the unexpected. And 24-7 customer support means you can travel worry-free. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.